hear me with this? Is it on? It is on? Uh, we'll be in Matthew 27, verses 45 to 50. This weekend I was at youth camp. Uh, luckily I don't have to use my arms while I'm preaching because they are really sore. Um, I don't know why, but I, I, I was feeling rambunctious and uh, decided to do some push-ups yesterday. And so I'm really sore. I don't do push-ups. I'm a biker. Mostly that's like your lower half of the body. So to do any upper body for me is just destroys me. So I'm pretty sore. But uh, if you guys are there, we're going to be in Matthew 27, 45 to 50. I'll go ahead and read those first five verses. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now I've got three points for tonight's sermon. My first point is that it was the Father's will to crush sin. My second point will be that it was the Son's will to be crushed for sin. My third point is going to be that it, was the Spirit, it is the Spirit's will to crush, to crush sin daily in the lives of Christians. So going back to our first point, it was the Father's will to crush sin. That's Christianity. The crux of everything that we believe in in Christianity is that Jesus died for our sins. That, that God took care of our sins upon the cross on Jesus. Um, and so when we get to the reason behind that, um, the reason behind Jesus dying on the cross is God's hatred for sin. That is taught through the Bible since the beginning in Genesis when he created Adam and Eve. Uh, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them perfect without sin, and they chose to disobey God. They chose sin over God, and so God punished that sin. Um, and that punishment led to them getting kicked out of the garden. Um, and so when they got kicked out of the garden, that meant a couple things. It meant, it meant, one, a disrupted harmony between them and the ground, meaning it was harder for them to uh, grow you know, and farm, and it was just harder for that kind of aspect. Um, it also meant a disrupted harmony between man and man, as we know later on, the first murder between Cain and Abel. But ultimately, it led to a disrupted harmony between man and God. Um, if you guys know the, the four-point gospel, the first two points are, one, God is holy or perfect, meaning um, he does not have sin. He's set apart from us. He's different in that way from us. And then the second point is that man is sinful. All of us are sinners, and that's a big problem because with our sin and with God being a perfect God, we cannot have a perfect relationship with him. Um, and so that's the four-point gospel. Those are the first two points. Um, Josh even taught in Bible study a couple weeks ago that God hates sinners because we sin. If you read, Psalm, if you read Psalms 5, 4 through 5, it says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Folks, that's us. We're, we're the sinners. We're the evildoers. Every single one of us um, have sinned against a righteous God, and we stand condemned before him. Um, and 
and with that, God cannot just not punish sin. God is a God who punishes sin. That's who he is. Um, it's almost like the image of a judge in a courthouse um, and a murderer were to come in completely guilty. Um, it's, it's been ruled that way that he is guilty. And just imagine how we would feel if the judge, knowing that, says, it's okay, we'll, we'll let it slide this time. You can go free. There'd be all kinds of uproar. We'd be hearing all over the news, you know, judge needs to be fired. He's let this murderer out for loose. That, y'all, that's how, that's how God is. He cannot let sin go unpunished. He is a righteous judge, and, son, and sin has to be punished. Um, and he takes care of it. He does it. Um, if we go back to Matthew, um, in verse 46, where it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll, we'll get to that God-hating sin. Um, and so why, why would Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? pretty simple. It's because God did, in fact, forsake him when he was on the cross. If you don't know what forsake means, forsake means to completely quit or, um, or leave entirely. Um, some other words for forsake are abandon, disown, give up, uh, desert. That's what, that's what God did to Jesus on the cross. He deserted him. He abandoned him. He disowned him. He gave him up. Um, and ultimately, he did that because he hates sin. Um, now, if you think of that, um, I've got five nephews, um, Caden, Caleb, Kaysen, Nicholas, and Noah. Um, sometimes I feel like an uncle to Josh's five kids. Um, and so, but I love all five of them with all my, like, with all my heart. I, I hang out with my nephews as much as I can. I want them to grow up um, hearing God's word. I've been trying to teach them every time I hang out with them. I've been reading the word with them and teaching them. I love them so much, and I'm not even their, I'm not even their dad or their parents. Um, I couldn't imagine how much their mom and dad love them. My sister, Becca, um, loves them so much. I can't imagine the, the love that Sam and Jake have for Graham um, and, and their son, Graham. I can't imagine the love that, that Josh and Val have for their five kids. It's, it's so amazing um, how much love they have. It's almost as if... Uh, he, Parents are given this supernatural love for their kids, um, and very rarely do you hear of a of a parent completely disowning their their uh, their children. Um, and so, but that's what that's what God does here. It, it tells us that although I can't imagine how much love God has for His Son, because I'm not a parent in that way, I do know because the Bible teaches me that He loves us so much that He gave His Son up for us. Um, Josh has also been teaching us this other thing called the Romans Road. Uh, Romans, it's five verses throughout Romans um, that, that kind of lead down the road of salvation. And the first one is Romans 3.23, which says, For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. After reading that, you feel pretty hopeless. Um, you're like, man, this, that's bummer. And then you go to the second one, and it's like a complete U-turn. It's like Romans 5.8, which says, uh, For our sake, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So not only does God hate sinners, but he loves sinners. Um, and that verse, John 3.16, will never get old. It's probably one of the most quoted verses of the Bible. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that those who believe in him uh, will have eternal life. That'll never get old. He did that for us. That's how much he loves us. Um, he disowned his very own son to save us sinners. Um, and so another way that, that people, uh, or not people, but the Bible explains it is that 
God pours out his wrath upon Jesus um, to take care of sin. It says that um, our sin has to be punished and it deserves the full wrath of God poured out upon it. And we deserve that wrath to be poured out upon us. But instead of us having that wrath poured out upon us, that wrath is poured out upon Jesus on the cross. Um, and so Isaiah 53.10 even says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And you might wonder, why was it his will? Well, if you just keep reading down to verse 11, it says, he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah was talking about Jesus. Um, it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus for our iniquities because at that point on the cross, Jesus was, bore our iniquities upon his shoulders. We don't have to bear them anymore. Jesus bore them on the cross. He bore our iniquities and that's why the Lord must crush him. Um, and to wrap it all up, um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible that Josh had me memorize when I was in the youth here was, is 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or in other words, and this is somewhat of a tongue twister, for our sake he was forsaken. Um, for our sake... God forsakes his own son because he loves us and he hates sin. Um, now, this, this phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, actually comes from Psalm 22. Um, if you want to, we're going to flip there. We read it as our um, call to worship, so we're not going to read the whole thing again, but I want you guys to see the connection between Psalm 22 and this passage that we're in and a couple, ver a couple other verses in Matthew 27. Um, I'm going to read them um, so you don't have to flip back and forth, but if you want to, I think it'll help if you flip back and forth to see the similarities. In, so Psalm 22, God, the very first verse, David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he, he, he takes the first 21 verses, and he's, he's really just remorsing over pain and suffering. Um, and if, if you know the story of David and his life, you can tell that a lot of this, he's kind of exaggerating. Um, he doesn't actually get chased by dogs and some of the other stuff in here. Um, but he's, it's somewhat of an exaggeration. But as we read it, we can't help but to think that this is the literal um, description of Jesus on the cross. A lot of the descriptions in Psalm 22 are almost word for word found in Matthew 27. And so I'm going to show you guys that real quick. In Matthew, in Matthew 27, verse 35, it says... And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Now in Psalm 22, verse 18, it says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Almost an exact, almost an exact quote from that verse. Um, and then if you go down to Matthew 39, it says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. And if you go to Psalm 22, verse 7... It says, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. Again, almost the same description. And then down to verse 43 in Matthew, it says, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, or if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And if you go to verse 8 of Psalm 22, it says that the people who were mocking him cried out, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. It's almost as if uh, Matthew is quoting Psalm 27 over and over again. Again, in 48 of Matthew, it says, And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, 
filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him a drink. And then if you look at verse 15 of Psalm 22, it says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So there's so many, so many similarities between Psalm 22 and Matthew 27. Um, and we can see that clearly through it. Um, and Jesus, I think Jesus knew, that, knew this when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was, he was quoting Psalm 22 to get people who knew Psalm 22 to look at Psalm 22 because Jesus knows how Psalm 22 ends. Um, and so when, when we, we, don't, we don't get the full story if, if we just know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The last uh, 10 verses in Psalm 22, the whole, the whole chapter flips, and it's as if David is rejoicing over God because he knows that God is going to hear the cries hear the cries of, of, the, of his people. God is going to respond to the people who cry out to him. And, and David is rejoicing over that. And then if you look at the last four words, it says, he has done it. Um, and this, this instantly reminded me of John in the, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus at the end of it all on the cross, his last words in the Gospel of John are, it is finished. And I can't help but to think that as Jesus cries, it is finished, we rejoice with David and say, he has done it. It is finished, and he has done it. Um, and so, as I transition into my second point, my first point being that uh, it was the Father's will to crush sin. The second point, it, it, it was the Son's will to be crushed for sin. Now, going back to Matthew uh, 27, if we jump back down to verse 50, we'll see... It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, why is that significant that it says he yielded up his spirit? Because God cannot die. Um, the Romans who were crucifying him did not kill Jesus. Jesus being fully God yielded up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. If you read John 10 verse 18, it says, no one takes it from me. This is Jesus talking about his life. He says, no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. He lays down his life as his own accord. Nobody can kill God. Now, if you look at that phrase, of my own accord, we can look at that a little bit more, and that is kind of like, uh, it, it reminds me of, he not only can do it, but he was willing to do it. If I have $20 in my pocket, I could take probably about five or six of you all to Dairy Queen right after this and buy you all blizzards. Just because I have the power to do that doesn't mean I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to do that. But, but uh, when he says, of my own accord, he has the power to do it. And not only that, he's willing to do it. He is willing and able to lay down his life for us. Um, and then again in John 10, if you go up a few verses, it says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus again speaking about himself. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We don't lay down your, you don't lay down your life for something you're not completely passionate about or something that you totally love. Um, it would take so much love for somebody to lay down their life for another human. I'm sure any parent in here would probably understand that. I don't, but I would probably lay down my life for my nephews, though. Um, and so we understand that to lay down your life means you have to have so much love for the thing that you are laying down his life and your life for. And it says that he lays down his life for his sheep, and we are his sheep. He lays down his life for us, his sheep. And so, and so not only does God hate sinners, as we talked about, God also loves sinners, too. Um, and also, along with this, the point that it was the son's will to crush sin, um, 
It was the son's, it was the son's will to obey the father perfectly. The son being completely and totally united um, to the Father and the Spirit, because it's the Trinity. They're all united, one God. Um, that means that they are not divided. They don't have differences. Um, one doesn't think this and the other think that. They don't have disagreements between them. They're all on the same page, headed for the same mission. And that mission, ever since the beginning of the Bible, was that Jesus was to come and die for our sins upon the cross and raise and be victorious over sin. Um, and so it's not as if the Father is forcing the Son to come down to earth for us, um, it's not like the, the son didn't want to. It's not like Jesus didn't want to come. Um, he completely and totally did so um, all on his own. Um, he wanted to obey the father with everything he had. Um, if we read Philippians 2, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible about um, the humility of Jesus and the obedience of Jesus. I didn't write this one down. It says... Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Jesus, who thought he was in the form, or who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. And so Jesus, being completely obedient to the Father of his own accord, lays down his life on the cross for us. Which leads me into my third point. Um, so my second point is that it was the Son's will to be crushed for sin. My third point is that it is the Spirit's will to crush sin daily in the lives of believers. Um, if you guys know, the, as Christians, the Spirit of God dwells in us. It empowers us. It convicts us. It gives us strength. Um, and so spirits, the Spirit of God actually dwells within believers. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? Um, we, as Christians, we have a true knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. And if we jump down back to Matthew 27 here, if we jump down to verse 54... After a few things have happened, after, he, um, after Jesus has dies, uh, verse 54 says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. So it tells us they have a true knowledge of who Jesus was. He was the Son of God. Um, when I was teaching FCA at school, um, we went through the book of John. It took about a year and a half, two years, and almost every single week we had FCA, I would, almost, I would start the Bible study off by asking, what's the point of John? Um, and at the very beginning of the Bible study, I told them what the, what the book of John was, and I just wanted them to memorize. If they got anything out of that whole Bible study for a year and a half, I wanted them to know John 20, 31, which says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I wanted the people in FCA to know that. I wanted them to know that it was the whole point of the book of John and the whole book of the entire, I mean, the whole purpose of the whole Bible, um, that we are to believe in Jesus and have, uh, and that he is the son of God, and that we may believe and have life in his name. That's the whole point of John twenty thirty one. And um, going down that road, true knowledge 
It doesn't talk about this in this passage, but we know as Christians that true knowledge leads um, to change or action um, or obedience. Um, it doesn't talk about these people in this passage repenting of their sins or turning to God. It just says truly that they believe that truly this was the Son of God. Um, but if they believe that he was truly the Son of God, that means that they have to also believe that he has the authority of the Son of God. And if they believe in the authority of the Son of God, that's going to naturally lead to obedience to the Son of God. Um, and let me put that in, in, in more um, daily life words. Um, a parent or the, a, a child knowing the authority of their parent uh, when the parent says to do this or gives them a command, the child knowing their authority, knowing that if they don't do it, they're either going to get a, a spanking or some kind of other consequence, they, 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 they obey the parent when they give the command. Um, and then another way to put it is as an employee, um, the employee knows that the boss has authority over them, and instead of, um, re instead of responding to the, to the boss with disobedience, they respond to his authority with obedience, and if they don't, the boss has every right to fire them. And so our relationship with, with God isn't too different from this. Um, God has all authority, um, and if we know that authority and understand that authority truly as these men did, that's going to lead to obedience. Um, if, 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 if the incredible Hulk were to come up to me and try to pick a fight with me, if I were to pick a fight with him, wouldn't even try. The incredible Hulk has so much more strength than me, so much more power than me, he would crush me in an instant. Well, y'all think how much bigger God is than the incredible Hulk. And think of his authority over the Incredible Hulk and over us. It's, it's infinitely bigger. And we get so scared of the Incredible Hulk if he were real. Um, but, but God is real, and we should, we, should, we should respond with complete and utter obedience to him. Um, by, by our if we were to disobey by our disobedience, um, it's as if we were saying that the authority of God's commands don't hold ground in our lives. Um, Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is Jesus speaking to us, saying, Every day, take up your cross. Every day, you need to use the weapon that I used to crush sin. I used, the, the, the cross was the weapon in which he used to crush sin, and he's, he's, he's inviting us to take up that weapon with him. Take up our crosses every single day and follow him. Every single day. Um, and how does it begin? How do we, how do we begin to have um, a hatred for our sin? And, or how does, how does that begin? How does, how does following Jesus and taking up our cross every single um, And the way that we hate our sin is because God hates his sin. God hates sin, and we as his people hate sin as well. When we say that we want to become a more godly person, we're simply just saying we want to become more like God. Godliness is just becoming like God, loving what he loves and hating what he, lo hating what he hates, which is sin. We hate sin because God hates sin. And so how do we go about daily taking up our cross? How do we go about, how, how does that hatred for sin happen in our lives? And it's because of the Spirit. Uh, if we go back to what I started with, the Spirit of God dwells within us. If God's Spirit dwells within us, you'd have to imagine that some of his characteristics are going to start portray being portrayed through your life. Um, it's almost as, uh, as a tree. I love this analogy of a tree. If your root is in Jesus, 
then naturally the fruit of the tree that is rooted in Jesus are going to be connected to Jesus and portray him to the world. The fruit of our tree should look like God's fruit, look like what God looks like. We should look like the character of God. If we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power grants to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The way that we become more like God and the way that we um, portray his character through our lives is because of the divine power that he is working through our lives um, through the Holy Spirit. Now, I remember Jake Beatty when he was um, getting ordained as a minister here just not too long ago. Um, when they were questioning him, I remember, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but I am, because um, that was kind of like a private room. But anyways, during the ordination, he had said that when he became a Christian, the, one of the main reasons he knows that he was a Christian was because he felt convicted over his sin. Um, and later on in the ordination service, when, when talked about, uh, or when asked about a, um, you know, like if somebody were to come up to him and ask about how you become a Christian, he responded that one of the, one of the main things that should be happening in the life of the Christian um, is a conviction or a, or a hatred towards our sin. If a person isn't hating their sin and turning from their sin and trying everything they can to, to get rid of sin in their life, then I would be hesitant to say if that person is actually a Christian, actually saved. Um, you've got to be turning away from your sin. Um, and the Spirit does that in us. He convicts us of our sin and, hates, and helps us to hate sin. Um, going back to the four-point gospel, I, I told you that the first two was that God is holy and man is sinful. The third that we've already talked about is that Jesus is the answer. And that fourth one is so crucial. We cannot leave out the fourth point of the four-point gospel, which says that we have to respond. You can't just say you're a Christian. You've got to actually live it out that you're a Christian. Uh, the fourth point is repent and believe. Um, we've got to be turning away from sin and turning towards God. Uh, we can't just be talking the talk. We've got to walk the walk as Christians. Um, and, that, and that is repenting of sin, hating sin, taking up our cross each and every day. Um, and back to 2 Corinthians 5, that, that passage that I memorized a few years ago, um, in that passage, it's a perfect example. It talks about how we are new creatures because God has completely recreated us. When you got baptized, if you have, when you went under the water and came back out, it's as if you were saying goodbye to the old creature and saying hello to the new Christian, God dwelling in you, spirit convicting you, hating sin, loving God. That's the new creature that was raised up that day out of the water. Um, and that's what the Bible teaches us. Um, and so, so my third point is that the, the Spirit's will is to crush sin daily in our lives. And so to go over it all, uh, back to my first point, God hates sin and it was his will to crush sin. My second point, it was Jesus' mission um, and the Father's mission completely uh, together, working together um, to crush sin, and it was his will to be crushed for sin. It was Jesus' will to be crushed for sin. And back to my third point is that it, it, the Spirit transforms us and gives us a whole new life. Um, we're a whole new creature because of the Spirit, and it is his will to crush sin daily in our lives. Um, and a few things that I just want you to really remember is for our sake, Jesus was forsaken. For our sake, he was forsaken. And when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished, we should be able to rejoice with all of our hearts. 
he has done it. So I'll go ahead and pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can turn to it and be encouraged by it. Uh, We want you to convict us of our sin. We want to be more like you, God. Uh, We want to be godly men and women, loving what you love and hating what you hate. Uh, Help us to turn away from our sin. Help us to uh, realize the sin in our lives. Um, Help us to love you more with all we've got. Thank you so much for Jesus, that he bore our iniquities upon the cross, um, that you were willing to lay down his cross, or lay down your son um, on our behalf. Um, God, we love you. Help us to glorify you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.